Well, happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. I'm glad all four of you showed up, and uh, it's really good to, to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2. We're going to be finishing up chapter 2. We've been in a series in Colossians, short little New Testament book. Uh, the Apostle Paul's the writer, uh, dealing with some, one, the what we're calling the, the Lord of everything, that Jesus is the Lord of everything, and that he is king over all things. And so Paul is trying to address that through this, this letter. And also what we're seeing is kind of creeping in as all these uh, teachers and, and groups of people that are, that are saying, you know, there's, there's something else that you need for your faith. There's something else you need to really be a Christian. You've got to add all these things, you know, whether it's mystical visions or, or whether it's, um, you know, special secret knowledge or whatever it is. And, and Paul's just saying, no way, that's not how this thing works. And so, uh, so we've been walking through that for the last uh, couple of weeks. And so we're going to look at uh, verses 16 to 23 this morning. So if you do have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Colossians 2. We're going to look at 16 uh, to the bottom, to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in your chair. Uh, I think it's 984 in your chair Bible. So let's read that together, and then uh, we'll jump into the message together. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not... Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let us pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could lift up our voices to you, and thank you for putting good truth on our lips to sing back to you, God. Because uh, you are worthy of our praise and our affections. Um, you are the Lord of everything, God. And so we ask now, God, that as you have primarily spoken through your written word, the scriptures, God, I pray you'd open our hearts and minds to hear and receive from you. Help us not just be hearers of your word this morning, God, but help us be doers as well. And we ask that uh, for your spirit's power, and we ask that you'd help us do that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So many years ago, uh, there was a, a film that came out uh, called Shadowlands in 1993, to be exact. And some of you weren't even born then. And that was the day when they had like VHS tapes. And you, anyway, I won't go there. Um, but there was a, a movie about the life of C.S. Lewis. And uh, it was a very profound impact on me. I remember watching this years ago. This was actually long before I was a, I was a Christian. And it still holds up today. And I wanted to read a quote from this movie um, because it really relates to what we're talking about here this morning. Hopefully we'll see that in just a moment. Here's what C.S. Lewis says uh, in, in the movie through an actor. But he says, Why am I so afraid? I never knew her love could hurt so much. And I love you and all I want is to love you. Then he says this, Beyond every door I hear your voice saying to me, This is only the land of shadows. Real life hasn't begun yet. And what 
Lewis is talking about is, is a lot of what happens in that movie, and a lot of his writings were, was the loss of his wife uh, to some horrific cancer. And so Lewis, he finds this, this woman of his dreams, this, this woman that he loves so dearly, and he's walking through this with her, and he realizes, he comes to these moments, and he writes about this in a lot of his books, but he, he, he talks about how even this great love that he had with this woman and spent many years for, and he couldn't believe that God would give him this woman, he loses her, but he realizes that everything in the universe was just a point to something else that real life had not begun yet. And Lewis will write many times in his works about this truth, is that, that the good things that we enjoy, the, the food, the drink, the relationships, the work that we get to do, the, the beauty of sunsets and sunrises and art and music and all of these things are good God-given things, but they're simply pointers to what is to come. And he always believed that because of these pointers that we were made for another world. In other words, we were made for God. Because these things, as good as they are, they just never seem to satisfy the human soul, do they? They always disappoint us. No, how, no matter how great your wife is, how great your husband, how great your kids, how, how great your job is, we always kind of hit the ceiling, don't we? Like, yeah, they're, they're great, but man, it just seems like it, it doesn't give me everything that I need because we're created for another world. Now, the sermon's not about C.S. Lewis and his thoughts. It's actually from Colossians 2. And Paul is saying very much the same things with different language. Is that he's in chapter 2, he's giving these warnings. We see it actually at the beginning of, of chapter or verse 8. He says, See it too that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And then we see it in 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with. Re- or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. And then we see it in 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, etc. We'll get into those in just, just a moment. But he gives these three warnings, and he's, he's really, what he's trying to get at in this chapter, and really the whole book is, there are these people, this group of people that are coming into the churches, and they're, and they're saying, hey, there's something else that you need, that, that, that knowing Christ, following Christ, having everything you need in Him is not enough for you. There's certain cultural norms you need to follow. There's certain things you need to drink. There's certain things you need to eat. There's certain uh, patterns that you need to follow. There's certain ecstatic experiences that you need to have to be a true Christian. And if you don't have those things, well, there's still more to be had. And Paul's going to say, no way. That's not how the gospel works. That all of these things are just shadows. But the substance is in Christ. And so I want to talk about Shadowland this morning, um, because that's what Paul's saying, and, and, and Lewis just stole that from Paul, so he's just, you know, borrowing. Um, but I want to first talk about identifying the shadows. I want to talk about applying the substance of Christ in the shadows, and then I want to talk about diagnosing our own Shadowlands this morning, just for a few minutes here. So identifying the shadows. So, so what, is, what is Paul exactly talking about here? And so he, he's identifying these, these cultural practices or these things that people are saying that you need to get on board with these if you really want to be a good Christian. You want to walk in, with God. You want to have power. You want to want, want to be in, in the camp. Well, these are the things you have to follow. These are the patterns that you must, must go. And so he, here's the first group of, of shadows that Paul identifies. You, you notice that in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. 
So, he, so he's identifying this group of churches that he planted. He, he's, he, he's, they're a young church. They're, they're growing in the faith. They, and then they've come out of these pagan backgrounds with all these kinds of cultural backgrounds and worship of false gods and all these things. And he says, don't let anyone judge you on what kind of food or what kind of drink you have. That seems kind of odd. Now, what we know from the scriptures is not very much about the food and the drink part. We're not, we're not sure exactly what that exactly meant. We know in, in Corinthians, Paul talks about certain kind of foods that were strangled to idols and, and were used for different kinds of, of practices, but we don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here. And we're not sure what kind of drink he was talking about. Was it a certain way they made the drinks? You know, was it fermented in a certain way? Did they add certain things to it to make it worthy and holy and, and sustainable? But he says, don't let anyone judge you on those things. Those things have gone away. The, the closest thing we can get to maybe is, is Romans 14. At the end of Romans, Paul is addressing a similar issue. In Romans 14, 13, here's what he says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so what Paul is saying in Romans, he wrote Romans as well, is he, he's saying those are secondary issues. It's not a, the kingdom of God, the, the family of God is not about what you eat and what you drink and about appetites. That's not what it's about. But it's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about right standing with God. It's about something else. So don't let people pass judgment on you, what you actually put in to your body, this kind of food or this kind of drink. Because that's not what it's about. Those are just shadows. Those are just pointers. You've come out of that. There's freedom now. But, but how much do we put so much emphasis on those things? Now, it could be food or drink. It could be whatever. Maybe some of you grew up in backgrounds like that. You came out of churches like that. You know, all, you, what you heard more of was not the, the mercies and grace of, of Christ in the gospel and that, that everything we have is found in him, but you heard it, don't taste, don't touch, don't do these things, don't dance, don't watch certain things, don't wear certain things. If you're part of this theological tribe, if you're part of this group, then you'll really be, be in. And so that's what's preached and that's what's taught. And yet Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Don't let people judge you on those things. Those are secondary things. So, so there's these, these shadows that he... And he also talks about a, another little subset of that shadow group was these festivals, these holy days. You probably caught that in um, after the, the eating and drinking party. He says, um, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, it's hard for us to understand now today's Memorial Day. Um, or not today, but tomorrow. Um, and so we have certain holidays and things. And, and for a living in America, it kind of orders our days a little bit. But, the, but they're not things. We don't bow down to these holidays necessarily. But see, in, in ancient culture, there was holidays and festivals and things that really ordered their days. And they become actually very powerful and, and spiritual in nature. So you had certain fe- festivals and you had, you know, the new moon was kind of the ordering of the calendar. 
And so they, they, they saw the ordering of the calendar, and sometimes there behind that was, was certain gods that they bowed down and they, they worshipped. And so these things took on a lot of meaning. And, and Sabbath, right? I mean, there's the, the Jewish people would, would practice Sabbath very uh, stringently. You know, we take a day off, and, and those are good things. We, we rest on the seventh day. Of course, those are good things. But, but in Christ now, those things don't order your days anymore. Those things shouldn't have the weight. Those things just become gods. They just become religious activity. But now all those things have been fulfilled in Christ. So our true Sabbath rest is actually found in Christ himself. And so the ordering of our days is not about, you know, what holidays happening or, or, or summer or spring or any of those things, but, but ultimately knowing Christ and knowing that, that he has come and knowing that one day he's going to return, that, that he's the one we, we seek. And so our rhythms of our weeks are, look very, very different. So Paul is concerned that someone or a group of people are coming in the church and saying, hey, hey you've you got to practice certain kinds of festivals and religious holidays and follow certain calendar, uh, calendar events or you're not really in the camp. You're not really a Christian. But he's saying those are just shadows. That's not the substance. The substance is found in Christ. He's fulfilled all those things. Now, what I find interesting is that if you, and I know people say, well, Christianity is you know, just a world religion. It's the same you know, as every other one. They're all pretty much you know, love, love people. And that, isn't that the message, right? But when I think about the differences between different faiths, is actually Christianity is really different in many, many ways. And one of those ways is exactly what Paul is talking about here. Is that if you line up every world religion, what you're going to see is a lot of external things. You know, don't eat certain things, pray a certain amount of time, wear certain garbs, and, you know, do certain kind of rituals, do certain kind of, you know, some of you may say, well, that's what, isn't that what Christianity does? Well, yes and no. Like, don't you guys worship on Saturday? Well, yeah, of course. But, but again, that, that's not, some churches work on Saturday, some worship during the week. I mean, again, there's, there's some freedom in that. But, but see, all these things become, yes, you believe in God, you follow God, but if you don't pray five times a day and you don't, you don't face a certain way and you don't go on your pilgrimage and you don't knock on doors and ask people, you know, are you going to heaven when you, you die? If you don't pray a certain way or have a certain kind of Bible or believe certain kinds of things or wear certain kind of garbs, you're not in the camp. And I would say, honestly, that Christianity, when it's done well and when it's really close to this, all those things have to die away. That Jesus wasn't trying to start a new religion and say, hey, believe in me, but also you need to wear certain kinds of clothes and do certain kind of practices. That Jesus, in a sense, becomes our temple. He becomes the one we go to. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we can worship God if we're in Africa on, the, on a beach under a tree, or you can be in a 1950s style Baptist building like New City, or you can be, you know, wherever. It doesn't matter as long as Christ is the center of those people. And so Paul is very concerned that there's these shadows, these things that are creeping in that are adding to the good news of grace found in the gospel. Now, there's one other little uh, group that, um, if you keep going down, I, and I see these as shadows too. He says in 17, these are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then he goes on to mention these as well in 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is kind of this, this false humility, and worship of angels. Some translators say angel-like worship. Going on in detail about visions puffed up, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. 
And so one other level is this, is not only the food that we eat and the drink and the cultural norms and, and calendars and religious holidays and all these kinds of things, but now he's going even further and he's saying there's a group that's saying if you don't have mystical ecstatic experiences, then you're not really a Christian. If you don't have some kind of angelic worship and, and the commentators and theologians aren't really sure exactly what that would have meant in that time, then you're not really a Christian. And maybe in modern times you could fill in the blanks and say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not a Christian. If you don't believe certain kinds of doctrines, you're not a a Christian. If you're not part of this tribe of churches, you're not a Christian. If you don't have have these ecstatic experiences uh, every day, then you're probably not really walking with the Lord. And Paul wants to say, oh, please, stop. Because I find Paul a very good voice for this because Paul tells about this experience he had about going to the third heaven. We're not really sure exactly what that meant. But he even says, I don't even want to speak about it. It's a posture of humility. Now why would he? He has this profound experience with the Lord. Doesn't, I mean, we still don't know what that, that is. He goes to, you know, maybe sees the Lord, goes to some spiritual place or has some vision or something. But in humility he says... But that's not what it's about. That's not expected of you. And when he talks about the gifts, and, and some of us always say, you know, I wish I had different gifts or I experienced God in a different way. He says, yeah, but without love, they're nothing. They're a clanging gong. If they're not used to build people up, what good are they? And so even Paul in humility says, no, 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 no. It does not matter. That's not what this is about. Because if we add to that, we say, yeah, it's being a Christian plus ecstatic experiences, plus speaking in in tongues, plus having certain doctrines, plus this, plus that, you're missing the message entirely. They're just shadows. They're just shadows. And so the failure... After we identify these shadows, the failure Paul makes very clear in 19. Instead of adding these things to the message and adding these things to your faith, he says in 19, and not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. So he identifies their failure and says, it's not about the shadows, it's not about the pointers, it's about the substance is in Christ, the head. This is where the power source is, this is where life is. So you go to him, you don't look for the ecstatic experience, you don't look for this thing or that thing, you don't, you don't worry about you know, what food or drink or how I'm dressed. I mean, you know, Michael Young is wearing shorts this morning and you know, it's very offensive, I mean, that, but I'm not going to hold that against him because of the gospel. Or, you know, we, tattoos or no tattoos, or, or, or this hair color or that hair color. I remember as a, as a young intern at a, at a church, I won't say their name or who they were, cause, um, but, but I remember a pastor coming up to me, and, and I was the youth pastor, which, I mean, if you're a youth pastor, right, I mean, just happy to have shoes on. I mean, that was just kind of the day in California. And, and he gave me a hard time about, you know, wearing shorts. And, you know, I had buttons, but, um, but he just really thought the shorts were offensive. That's why I gave Michael a hard time. It's the pain we're all working through. But, but he saw this as, you can't, dress, you can't wear that in God's house. Well, why not? I, I'm not a stumbling, am I a stumbling block to everyone else? I don't know. I mean, I'm wearing buttons for crying out loud. It's a California. I mean, everyone wears shorts, right? But you see, it was always about those things. 
It was always about not, hey, Ryan, you're doing a great job. Hey, thanks for, for teaching the kids the gospel. No, it was about how I dressed and what hat I wore or, or my language or whatever it is. And so we can miss out so often on the power and the beauty and the grace of Christ because of those secondary things. Those secondary things become the ultimate things. And so Paul says the failure here is they're not going to Christ to find life and to find growth. These other things aren't going to get you where you need to be. Which leads us into applying the substance of Christ in the shadows. So applying the substance of Christ. So, so what do these, these shadows um, reveal? Because I think there's something kind of underneath that as well. And so in 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Now, this is a very interesting phrase that, that Paul's using here because he's pointing to something. He's actually going backwards and he's saying, hey, there, there, there were these, these rules and these regulations and these things that, that God put in place in the Old Testament, these sacrificial systems and, and ways of going to tabernacle and temple and, and all these pointers. And even in Gentile culture, there were, there were certain kinds of, uh, of religious realities that they had come out of. But he says, those things are gone. Those things are done way, 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 because they've all been fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Hebrews 10. Paul didn't write Hebrews 10, as far as we know. But, but Hebrews 10 speaks on the same issue. Verse 1, he says, For since the law has, be, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, when he, when he said above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? Now again, Hebrews 10, the whole book is just a nightmare. It's, it's very complicated and complex. But it's a beautiful book about how to understand what was going on in the Old Testament. And all these, these shadows that were pointing these laws and commands and regulations and customs and sacrifice. What were all those things? And, and what the writer here is saying, and he's making very, very clear, he says, it was never about the sacrifice. It was never about the bulls and the goats and the commands. Those were all shadows. Those were all pointers to the Messiah who would come and fulfill all those things, who would be our perfect prophet, priest, and king. He was the one who's going to lay his life down because these animals ultimately cannot, cannot save you and they cannot atone for your sins. Hence, can I use hence? Weird word, isn't it? Why do they have to keep coming and doing sacrifice over and over again. Anyone? Because it's not satisfactory. So the people of Israel had to continually come and bring the bulls and bring the goats every year, and, and in, not just every year, but, but sometimes even, even weekly in a different festivals. Why? Because the Messiah, Jesus, had not come yet to have the once and for all sacrifice, the perfect spotless lamb who laid his life on the altar for our sins. And for their sins. 
So when he comes, there's no need for those things. We don't go to the altar. We don't come to church so that we can re-sacrifice Christ every day. He's already been sacrificed. In other tribes and other traditions, they see it as that. It's like, you know, I think even in the weird world of just like, you know, professing your faith 900 times, getting baptized eight different times, because maybe this time it will take. But what are we saying when we do that? Jesus, your sacrifice is not enough for me. I have to prove that it's worth I have to prove that I'm worthy, right? So, so I'm going to sign the card. I'm going to shake the pastor's hand. I'm going to commit myself again to you, Lord. But your sacrifice is not worthy yet. I'm going to do certain things. I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to wear certain things. I'm going to be religious. I'm going to make sure that I, that I even have an ESV study Bible because then I know I will be closer to you in the end. But the writer in, in Hebrews 10 wants to make sure that those were former things that have been done away with in Christ. Now, they're not inconsequential things. The, the law is not inconsequential. But it pointed to our need of a Savior who fulfilled the law, that we are not good at following God's commands. Amen? And all of these things were pointers so that we could have freedom in Christ and not be slaves any longer to our own sin, to the law, to the world. And so really, when we talk about applying the substance of Christ in the shadow lands, is really what Paul is getting after is freedom. It is removing the shackles from our lives. And he is very concrete about what those shackles are. It's actually three things in here that we see in our text. That Paul's saying there's a freedom from the world on one level. If you go back to Colossians, verse 20. There's a freedom for the world. He says in verse 20, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now what Paul's referring to is actually probably back to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That someone is coming in and saying, you know, these, these really smart people have these philosophies and this knowledge that, that, yeah, I know you're a believer in Christ, but you need these kind of, this information. If you have this information, then you'll really be a follower of Christ. But there's also these, these cultural norms that happen in the world that we breathe in and we take in. So, so the day that you're born and you, you grew up in a family, you grew up around certain people, you hear kind of different messages, you have coaches and pastors and, and all kinds of people in your life that just says, this is how the world works. This is the way it is. This is how you get on with life, right? So work hard and you know, get a job and get married and Try not to mess things up too much and get a pension and die. That, that's how it goes, kid. Right? That might, that might have been the message that you, you were brought up in. Maybe it was different than that. Whatever it was. That there's just this, this common kind of, kind of, this is how the world is. This is what, what good people look like. This is what, what honest people look like. But Paul, what he's doing is he's actually kind of freeing us from that to say, that's actually just another form of slavery. There's no freedom in that. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Because here's what's interesting about that. What Paul is saying, he's not talking about the church. He's talking about the world. He's saying, guess what? The world has its own religion too. See, a lot of times we think there's religious people and non-religious people. Actually, in reality, we're all religious there's some way that gives our lives shape and meaning and form. That's all a religion is. 
So it could be Christ or it could be something else. It can be, you know, I drive a Prius and I recycle or this cause or this, you know, this party or this whatever it is, right? They're all religions. This is what gives identity and meaning and hope and salvation in my life. We just don't like using that word because if secular people go, well, I'm not religious. I don't go, yeah, you don't worship transcendent, but you worship something. Something gets you up in the morning and gives your life meaning and hope some way, shape, or form. I'm just as religious as you. But here's the problem with that. That even that way, if you're not a Christian, is those become shackles too. Why? Because the religion that you formed for your own life, you can't even keep those standards. Hmm? That's why we have so much anxiety and depression and fear. Why? Because deep in our souls, we're trying to keep up some impression of this is what I am and this is what good people are and I'm part of this and I want to be the, on the right side of history and I want to be this or I want to be that and right these standards just become another form of slavery because none of us can pull it off now I'm not making a political statement but I kind of am it's always humorous to me when, when people on certain parties say well, we're very generous and we care about certain kinds of people and then you look at their giving records and it's very abysmal, right? Now, that's no indictment on anyone, but what I'm saying is we're just not good at keeping up with what we even believe in the standards of what we believe, amen? We're just not, right? You could be vegan, you could be, I eat clean and all this, but you love the double cheeseburger. Let's just get honest, right? You, you go into McDonald's and you're hiding because you don't want anyone to think that you're you know, a monster. It's like, who cares, that's just, that's just slavery, isn't it? It just is. I don't think the right way. I don't believe. I don't, I'm not part of the right causes. I'm not, that's just slavery because we can't even keep it up on our best days. And so Paul's warning them, don't fall back into that prison. It doesn't lead anywhere. That's why the gospel is such good news because even that we are freed from. There's no standard that I have to keep. There's no thing. If I, if I miss out, it's okay. I love what, what Tim Keller says in um, this little thing. You, you might have heard about this. He, he wrote this, this little chart about religion and the gospel. And he says, religion is myself. So if we're kind of religious or have some form of religion, whether it's Christian or not, he says, my self-view swings between two poles. If and when I'm living up to my standards, I feel confident. But then I am prone to be proud and unsympathetic to failing people. If and when I'm not living up to standards, I feel insecure and inadequate. I'm not confident. I feel like a failure. Anyone feel that before? So when I'm living up to those standards, oh, I feel so great and confident. But when I'm not, I feel insecure and I feel like a hypocrite and all that. But the gospel says my self-view is not based on a view of myself as a moral achiever. In Christ, I am simul ustus ek peccator, which means simultaneously sinful and yet accepted in Christ. I am so bad he had to die for me, and I am so loved he was glad to die for me. This leads me to deeper and deeper humility and confidence at the same time, neither swaggering nor sniveling. That's a picture of the freedom from the world. When your security is in Christ, and you've been accepted not because you're good or moral or right or keep all the standards... You actually have a new confidence that's built in you, but it's not built in yourself, it's built in Christ. 
And so we don't sway from side to side. And if I'm doing well or not doing well, and I'm in the, you know, in the toilet or in the corner, you know, in the fetal position based on how well I'm doing, but we go to Christ and we find grace and we find mercy and we find forgiveness in him. And no one can offer you that except him. And so my friends, family, neighbors that I know that, that aren't believers, they're just in another form of slavery. Slavery to sin, but also slavery to their own you know, expectations and rules and commands. That's not life. That's just trying to keep up with the Joneses or whoever the Joneses is. I'd like to meet them someday and punch them in the face. Maybe the gospel punches them in the face. I don't know. But there's also a, a freedom from the law, which Paul says in 21, 22, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all the things that perish and are used according to human precepts and teachings. That what's going on, again, is this, these commands, these rules, these regulations that someone is bringing into the church and saying, you have to follow these things. Don't t- taste that, don't touch that, don't look at that, right? They're just human traditions. There's man-made traditions that don't lead to life. Now, we can see this in two ways. One is, well, the law is good, and it, and it shows us the path to joy, but, but we're not saved because of the law, and we're not saved by obeying the law. But because we are saved, because we have been redeemed, we, we obey God out of love, of course. But the other side of that are those that want to say, you know, the commands of God are just commands in general, like don't really matter, just antinomianism, you know, the big fancy word anti-law doesn't, doesn't really matter. But what's so interesting about that is it just be, leads to another form of legalism. Because those who say, well, I'm anti, it doesn't matter, just do, live it up. You know, eat, drink, be merry. I'm not going to judge anyone. You know, if you want to live your life, you just want to, want to do what, whatever you want to do. Actually, what it does is it creates just another form of legalism. It also forms another way of saying, you know, I'm good and I'm moral and I'm right because I keep these certain kinds of things. I live this certain kinds of way. There's no freedom in that. And so whether we're close law followers or whether we're antinomian, there's a, there's a, a need for the gospel of grace to come and say that you can't keep those commands. You can't keep those laws. You fall on your face all day long. We need a savior. We need someone who kept the law perfectly, who came to fulfill the law, namely Jesus Christ. And so when we have these laws, what what happens is we get back to what these people are doing is you need to worship on this day. You need to follow these commands and festivals. You need to drink and eat certain things. You need to dress a certain way. You need to worship in a certain way. You need to have more ecstatic visions and, and more mystical experiences with God. Then you're really a Christian. But what happens on most ordinary days when we're not experiencing that? We just, just go, sheesh, what a failure. What a loser. Right? Some of us are bored in our faith because we, we have this picture of faith that's supposed to be this ecstatic experience from, from now until eternity, just this, this roller coaster ride up into heaven. But if you follow Christ for a little while, it's really not a roller coaster that goes straight up, but it's really like the roller coaster that goes straight up and then goes down and twists and goes up and down. And you vomit a little bit, right? It's hard. It's very ordinary. There's suffering, there's sorrow, there's joy, there's, there's everything in between. But there's a great freedom that comes 
knowing that our lives are hidden in Christ, knowing our lives are in him, that all will be made right in the end, even through the ups and the downs and the falling on our faces. Which is also the freedom from sin that Paul's talking about here. He says the, the problem with these shadows is that it doesn't even work. Because they're focusing on all these external things, thinking that this is actually going to help us be more godly and live a godly life. But the problem is, our DNA is broken and fractured, and it goes much deeper. We need something from the inside out to change us, don't we? That we can change the external furniture, right? We're just like, I'm, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do religious things. I'm going to, you know, wear certain things. Only watch, you know, Christian TV. And I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do all these external things. But where the real work needs to happen is from the inside out. That leads to different lives of obedience. It leads to lives of joy. All, all those things. We're starting in the wrong place. And that's why Paul says in verse 23, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and, and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, sin. <laughs> that you can, you can worry about all the drink and the food and all those kinds of things and the festivals and the religious holidays and the dress and all that. Do not taste, do not touch, do not see. You can work out all those things, but they don't work against the thing that's broken inside of you, which is namely sin. That Jesus even addressed that. He says, you know, where's all this anger come from and lust come from and, and stealing and thievery and all these kinds of things? He says, it's not from the outside. It's not because someone wronged you. It comes from the heart in Mark 7. There's the heart that God wants to deal with. He wants to make us new. He wants us to be born again from above so that we can have new desires, new affections. It's not just changing the furniture on the outside. And some of us grew up in those kind of traditions. That it was all about the external furniture, and you're just like, I don't know why it's so hard to follow Christ. It's because you focus so much on the outside rather than allowing Christ and the Spirit to work from the inside out. And so you felt good about it. Well, I'm doing all the right things. I mean, I show up to church and I do the thing, but you're kind of a jerk. Or they don't believe the way that I believe and I need to blast them on Facebook and Twitter and and on YouTube and, and all these things because I need to show that I am right and theologically sound. Well, you're just insecure. Because the work is from the inside out. You don't have to prove your worth or your intelligence or your spirituality Jesus actually addresses that all the time. Don't don't pray and fast so everyone can see you. Your reward is just a pat on the back by your buddies or on YouTube or wherever horrible place you hang out. The thread on YouTube is just, I mean, it's kind of funny at times, but just that's, there's going to be a place in hell for that, just the comment threads in YouTube. Anyway, horrible. Don't, don't read them. Or do just with an open mind and prayerful heart. But what is that? It's insecurity. It's I have to prove my worth. I have to prove my value. I have to say something all the time. But, but Christ has come to, to free us from those things. Christ has not come to start a religion, but to make us new from above, to give us a new heart, a new life, to replace this heart of flesh, this heart of stone, this heart of sin with a new heart that beats for him, that loves God with all his heart, soul, and strength, and loves the neighbor from the, from the inside out. It's not about, again, cultural norms and externals and what we dress and the music we listen to, but it's about God renewing, making the new people who are salt and light in the world for his glory. But I think it's a lot easier to focus on the external things, isn't it? 
to feel good about ourselves because we dress up a certain way or we do certain things, right? That we can do all those things and not know Christ at all. We can. I've been around church world for, you know, and and I I don't, let me get a little um, honest here. I um, I didn't grow up in the church, and and I'll just say this, but I, I had a view from the outside looking in, and this is like, well, you are hypocrites. And, and yeah, I did see some hypocrisy. But when I became a Christian, when, when God redeemed me, I, I don't share my testimony all that much. And I don't know why, I just don't. But um, I wasn't looking for religion. Like when I look back 20 years later, I, religion was not what I was after. I wasn't saying, you know, I, I need some you know, social friends. I, I need some you know, new patterns in my life. Ryan was so, that's me, uh, was so flawed in deep, dark ways that I needed a miracle in my soul that only God could do. I didn't need more things to do. I need to be born again because I knew what was in me was not going to change by changing the external furniture or self-help or what have you. And God has done that. I'm not a perfect man by any means, but I can honestly say that the desires and the things that were in me and the things that were I doing, God began to whittle those desires away. And I know that's a lot of your stories. I know I won't point you out, but I, I mean, that's just generic. But, 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 I, but I know your stories in here this morning that God has done that to you. That I wasn't looking for God. I really wasn't. I didn't know what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for religion. That, that's not what Jesus was after. He was after making men and women and children new from the inside out. Not just to be religious and add more things to their lives, but to free us from all the things that Paul just talked about, from the world, from the law, from sin. And that's really good news. Now, as we, we land the plane this morning, can, can we just get honest? I know it's church, but um, can we just diagnose a little bit our own shadow lands? Because we all have them, myself included. Um, and, and I want to diagnose those, and, and I'm just going to have everyone just share just openly and candidly about your... No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. You're just like, <laughs> one of you started sweating. I saw that. <laughs> Moving towards the door. But I just want to ask four questions, because I, I think these questions, as imperfectly as they are, relate to our text this morning. But, but don't, don't leave here. I mean, this is, this is some of the work that you have to do. That you, Sometimes we go, man, I just feel like I'm following Christ, but I don't see any growth. It's because we don't do enough of this. Just asking ourselves a lot of questions, examining questions. Um, like, where do I see this in my own life? Because it's a lot easier to, to, to nudge the person next to you and go, yeah, I hope they hear this. Or, or I call it the evangelical nod. Yeah. Get them, pastor. It's not for me. It's for them. Get them. Right? So, so let's not do that. Let's make this for ourselves. So, so here's, here's a question. Where do you feel superior to others? I think what, what much of Paul is describing are, are kind of the seeds of superiority. Um, because these teachers are coming in and, and you know, if, hey, if you're a real Christian, then you'll have these mystical experiences. If you're a real Christian, you'll, you'll see the world through our theological lens. Or my political persuasion or Whatever. But if we have the substance we need in Christ, by definition, we can't be superior to anyone. That our sufficiency is found in Christ. So, so where, do you, where, where in your life do you just think, man, I, just, I feel like I'm better than other people because of this? You, you know what they are. I know what mine are. How about this? 
is there zeal or passion? I know that's kind of an archaic word, but is there zeal for God based on knowledge or not? And what I mean is a lot of what I call Christian zeal or passion, and, and the Bible talks about zeal a lot, but, but zeal uh, that's not according to knowledge is, is futile. And what he means is, is your zeal for God based and rooted and founded in Christ and who he is and what he's done for you? Or are you more excited about all the external things that come with it? The theological grid, causes, whatever it is. But, but is, is Christ the message? Is Christ the thing? It, it, the, the one you love, the one, you come, the one you've seen who has laid his life down for you, a sinner who, who has redeemed you by his own blood, who invites you into his family. Is your, is your zeal rooted in that or is it about other things? Experiences, visions, dreams. Right, the people you read, the people, right? Whatever it is. Think, think about that. Because I think that's what Paul's addressing here too, as well. How about third? Are you dissatisfied with scriptural norms of faith? Now, <laughs> here's what I mean by that. If you're like me, you go through seasons, you know, dark nights of the soul, dryness, where you feel like, Lord, is there more to this thing? Like, right, when you, when you became a Christian, like I was a teenager, just, just excited, just, you know, mountaintop experience, just floating on, on air, you know, just so excited, right? And then, then like, the honeymoon phase kind of ends, and it's like, man, this is like a grind. You've been there? It's like, we love the testimony, you know, day one. Like, you know, I was a crack addict, just, you know, snorting things, and, you know, I, I you know, killed a couple people, you know, come to Christ, don't want to kill anymore, don't do drugs. And, and then, you know, we love that testimony, you know, a week in. But have we, do we ever talk to that guy five years later? You know. Man, this is difficult. This is hard. Might have even fallen back into sin a little bit. That's what I mean by dissatisfied with the scriptural norms of faith. So scriptural norms of faith involve perseverance and prayer and faithfulness and toil and joy, ordinary stuff. The way you love your spouse and your friends and your neighbors and taking care of kids and working a job, like, like very ordinary things, but those are God-given beautiful things. To live quiet and humble and ordinary lives is not a bad thing. But sometimes we look at that and we just go, yeah, that's boring. What do I want that for? I want, to be, I want to change the world. I want to do all these things. And maybe you're called to do that. But, but the reality is faith is very much an ordinary gospel grace of plotting. Isn't it? Those of you who walked with the Lord more than five minutes? Right? I see some, some nods. I see your nod there. Yeah? Anyone else? <laughs> but, but are you dissatisfied with that? And then last, is Jesus the greatest treasure in pursuit of your life? Now, now here's what I mean. This one's a little tricky because I you say, oh yeah, of course, pastor. What I don't mean, here's what I don't mean. Jesus is to be your all in all, right? Father, Son, Spirit, your all in all. Everything else needs to be subservient to that. That does not mean you're not a good husband or wife or friend and work hard at your job or don't care about anything in the world. That's not what I'm saying. It's not you and Jesus in the corner doing your devotions. That's not what I mean. 
But what I mean is, does Jesus speak into all those things? Does your whole life flow from him and what he wants and, and, and your love for him? Does your, your work flow from that? Does your relationships flow from that? Does your time flow from that? Is, is he the, the one you seek? Is it his kingdom that, that, that you seek? Is that the, the way you give, that your time, your money, all those things? Is Jesus the one that drives all that or is it something else? And I know that's a tricky one because depending on what day you ask me, <laughs> My answers might be different. But, but what are those things? What are those shadows that, that maybe just take a little more precedent than they should, a little more time, a little more energy, a little more sacrifice than they should? So where do you feel superior to others? Is your zeal for God based on knowledge? Are you dissatisfied with scriptural norms? Is Jesus your greatest treasure in pursuit of your life? So we're going to bring those to the Lord in just a moment here. But what I love about New City is every week we take the Lord's Supper. Because as you answer those questions, I know, (laughs) if you're like me, a lot of those answers are no or yes. But this is where we look. The body that was broken for you, the blood that was shed for you, Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. We're not looking inward just to our own performance, our own morality. That's not why I ask these questions. It's so that you would run to the cross. You would run to Christ to say, He's the substance. I love to run after shadows, but He's the substance. He's where life is found. He's where grace and forgiveness is found. So if you're a believer in Christ, please come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. The way we take uh, communion as we break off a piece of the bread, we'll dip in the cup. There'll be two lines in the front. If you have any kind of allergies, nut-free, gluten-free breads in the middle there, you can take that. And I also just want to challenge you, if you're not a Christian here this morning, is that I'm willing to bet you have certain kind of laws and regulations and things that you believe are, are making you whole or making you new or, or what makes you a good person. And, and I want to just challenge you to, to just lay those things aside and look to Christ, to even doubt your own doubts about him. Because we've all been there. We've all been there. And I really believe that that's just shackles, that it's only in Christ that we find true freedom and grace and mercy. So I'm going to offer a word of prayer. I'm just going to give just a moment of silence because I, I just want you to, not audibly, but in prayer, just maybe bring those things to God before we leave this place. Where are those places of, of superiority? Where, where's that zeal that's not really on Christ, but it's on something else? How about just feeling disappointed by the scriptural norms of faith and feeling like my faith is just kind of ordinary and I've been looking elsewhere to find some kind of spiritual juice. Lay those things down. And and then, is Jesus your treasure? Is he your all in all? You you know. You can be honest. God can handle it. So let's just lay those down. God is gracious to forgive and he's merciful. Thank you for Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for Colossians 2, for reminding us that our lives often are so wrapped up in shadows and not the substance, the substance of Christ where life is found.
where growth is found, where peace is found and joy is found. God, forgive us for the ways we heap on our brothers and sisters and our friends, the laws and regulations that Christ has come to fulfill. God, show us this week the places where we're living in shadow land. Reveal those to us so that we can repent of those things, confess those things, and God, that you would change us and and move us away from those things so that we would run to Christ and find grace and find mercy and find joy. So do all those things that I cannot do, only you can by your spirit. So help us now, in Jesus' name, amen.